Thank you, Lord. We, we are, as Linda shared the announcements uh, earlier, just a, a moment ago, we are entering into a very strategic season. Everybody say, strategic season. And as they were sharing about missions, I, I, I get excited because we're able to see, see what's happening right now is although you come in and you say, there's not as many people here. How many have said that to yourself as you come in? Come on, lift, lift up your hand. Come on, be honest. You say that there's not as many people here. There is a leanness in the, in the house. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But in the midst of the leanness, there is increase that's happening. Hallelujah. Part of the leanness comes because every week we're sending people to a new city where God is moving mightily and establishing a church. It's powerful. Um, and, and so in the midst of the leanness, there is uh, multiplication that is happening. Praise God. I was, uh, as they were sharing, I was thinking about Joseph. Joseph uh, had been raised up finally. If you don't know the story of Joseph, read about it, the, about 12 or 13 chapters there at the end of the book of Genesis. This is not my message this morning. Uh, I don't think it is. And uh, Joseph, uh, or the, the, the Pharaoh, had a dream, and he said, I need somebody to not only tell, tell me the interpretation of the dream, but I need somebody to tell me the dream. And uh, nobody could do it, and Joseph, there in prison, was raised up. And uh, what the king had seen was, uh, uh, the interpretation of what he had seen was that there was going to be seven years of plenty, where they were going to have to gather and gather and gather and gather, and then seven years of leanness, leanness. And so I... Think about, I was thinking about that, and I'm, I'm not declaring seven years of leanness over us, but God knew that they were going to go through the season of leanness, and so he prepared them to get all the way through that season of leanness. And I want to I declare over this house that we are going all the way through the season of leanness. Um, Brother Wade, before he m- moved to Tennessee... May Tennessee give us sevenfold back what we have given to them. And Austin said, Amen. <laughs> Before he moved to Tennessee, he spoke a word over this house. And the word that he spoke over this house was this This ship will float. Amen. And when he said that, it went into me. What I didn't know, see, that was a season uh, we were actually increasing in that season uh, right before that and we were running over a hundred and we were I thought man we're taking off we're taking off and and just then COVID hit bam and you know the rest of the story but what God did is he prepared us for a season of leanness that we did not know was coming isn't that good He was preparing us all along so so that when this season of leanness came, we would get all the way through. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. So friends, when you come into this house, don't hang your head. When you come into this house, don't think, what is happening here? When you come into this house, 
you, you declare over this house all the way through in the name of Jesus. Abundance is coming. Oh, praise God. Abundance is coming. There was another that was in a season of leanness, and his name was Elisha. And there he was. It was just him and his servant. So his servant thought, But that season was not a season of leanness. That battle was not a battle that was going to cause Elisha and his servant to perish. In 2 Kings chapter 6, you can read about it. Elisha just prayed, God, open up his eyes that he may see. And church, I want us to, to pray that over one another. God, open up our eyes that we might see. This thing is not all about us. This thing is not all about me. This thing is not about all what I want. This is about him and his kingdom. And we are laying our lives down to do what he called us to do. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You might be tempted to say, oh, look, look at what other churches, look, look what other churches are doing. They're full. They're thriving. Friend, I don't want to be like other churches. I want to be the church that he's called us to be. I want to be the church that he's called us to be. That doesn't mean we can't take some principles and learn from those around us. We're not an island unto ourselves. We certainly can, uh, can learn, but we want to fulfill the call and purpose that's on this house. Amen? Praise God. I give the Lord praise. Jesus. One thing that, that uh, you can all be praying about, um, next week we will be sharing a special. Now, this is the time of year that we begin to uh, think about um, new leadership. We have our annual meeting in March where we will go over finances and all of that and, and, uh, and uh, uh, have a voice in new leadership in the house. We're going to walk through that process but we are going to be calling a special business meeting for the membership next week. We'll share that uh, when that will be for the purpose of talking about purchasing a facility in Petersburg. We have an opportunity to purchase an entire uh, church facility for $60,000. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And uh, so we, in order to acquire new property, we need the blessing of the membership on the house. We believe that God is open, has opened up a door for us to, to, get a, uh, to get a foot into Petersburg. And if you've never done a commercial property search in Petersburg, you know how difficult that is. But God is making a way. And so we are asking the membership to begin to pray about that. Next week, we will announce a meeting, a special business meeting, so that we can uh, move forward with that and, uh, and all of you be apprised to what is happening. Thank you, Jesus. And so in the midst of leanness, God is working. Hallelujah. Now, uh, Christmas Eve, eight days ago, when we last gathered here, many of you were here for, for that meeting. I walked up here, and as I was walking up here, I had prepared for about three hours for the devotional that I was going to share. And as I was walking up here, I opened up the file, and it said, corrupted file. Cannot open it. And so I fumbled through Christmas Eve, and the Lord helped me. 
Um, but I did not share what I was going to share. And afterwards, my wife says, that is why I always print it out. And, you know, my wife always has an answer for every folly that I ever commit. So this morning, I printed out my message for the first time in months and months and months. And when Pastor Gary picked up breakfast tables to go back and have discussion, he picked up the notes to my sermon. And so they spent the whole morning talking about my sermon. And so I, and so I said, well, what am I going to preach? So how many of you were not at breakfast tables? Okay. So I'm, I'm not blaming this on Pastor Gary. I'm blaming this on my wife. Is that acceptable? She's not here to defend herself. You tell her, I will never, I will never print my sermon notes again. We will trust the electronics. Oh, thank you, Father. You're so good, God. Lord, we declare your goodness in this place. We declare the life of the Spirit in this place. We thank you, Father, for your love in this place, God, the family that you're building here, what you're doing in new people in this place. We thank you for it, God. Getting, getting almost daily reports of good things that you're doing in, in uh, the, the new people of this house and in Petersburg. And we thank you, Jesus, for the expansion of the kingdom. You are a mighty God. Hallelujah. So turn with me. Maybe my preaching of this message will be a little bit different than the discussion. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I want to talk about a church coming from from death to life. I want to talk about a people coming from death to life. Hallelujah. Now, sometimes in the kingdom, it works the opposite way, the way that God never intended it to work. Sometimes it works the opposite way. Hearts that were once on fire grow cold. Hearts that were once walking with Jesus are now not walking with Jesus. This is not God's intention. This is not the way that God planned it. But sometimes we find, and and sometimes it's areas of our life, we find death in certain areas of our life that once were thriving. And God this morning So when we talk about coming from death to life, we're not just talking about the salvation experience. We're talking about all of life. God wants some of our marriages to come from a place of death to a place of life. Hallelujah. God wants some of our our, our understanding of the word of God to come alive. God wants specific areas in our life, gifts of the spirit that once were in operation or that God wants to, to... for you to to be operating in that are dormant. God wants them to come to life, from death to life. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom all, whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we we just ask right now, that your word, not just in emotion, in hype, but deep in our hearts, deeper than emotion, deeper than the temporal, would find a, a root in our spirit. Find a root in our spirit. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father. Amen. A.W. Tozer was commenting on Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, that says, These things who says who uh, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. And A.W. Tozer commenting on that verse said this. I think we are going to have to restudy this whole teaching of the place of the Holy Spirit in the church so the body can operate again. If the life goes out of a man's body, he is said to be a corpse. He is what they call the remains. It is sad, but humorously sad, that a strong, fine man with shining eyes and a vibrant voice, a living man, dies. And we say, the remains can be seen at the funeral home. All the remains of the man and the least part about him is what you see there in the funeral home. The living man is gone. You have only the body. The body is the remains. So it is in the church of Christ. It is literally true that some churches are dead. The Holy Spirit has gone out of them, and all you have left are The remains. You have the potential of the church, but you do not have the church. Just as you have in a dead man the potential of a living man, but you do not have a living man. 
He can't talk, he can't taste, he can't touch, he can't feel, he can't smell, he can't see, he can't hear, because he is dead. The soul has gone out of the man. And when the Holy Spirit is not present in the church, you have to get along after the methods of business or politics or psychology or human effort. Wow. End of quote. It's from his book, The Counselor. And then he prays this. Lord, send your Holy Spirit in power that we might not be a dead church striving to look alive, pretending to function as though alive, while the life is actually gone. Wow. Wow. The reputation of being alive, but not alive. But God has better things in store for you. God has better things in store for you. God has better things in store for you. Because it is not reputation that God is concerned about. Man is concerned about those things. It is reality and genuineness that God is concerned about. And when Paul says, and you has he made alive, he's not talking about pretense. He's not talking about reputation. He's not talking about just how people see you. He is talking about genuine reality on the inside. God has come and spoken life over you. Dead churches have a reputation of being alive, they may. Dead churches can even make other people think that they are alive, but dead churches are exactly that. They are dead. They are dead. Dead churches trust in their own works. Let me just go through this quickly. Because I want to get to the end of my message that was not discussed at breakfast tables. Dead churches trust in their own works. And they think that they have a measure of righteousness because of the good things that we do. But they're still dead. My Bible says that all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We cannot trust in them. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Let's, let's, let's agree with Jesus right now and declare what Jesus said. Without me, you can do nothing. Let's say it again. Without me, you can do nothing. And so... Without Jesus, all of our effort is in vain and our toil is in vain. Dead churches trust in their own toil. And then they pat themselves on the back and say, look how good of a job we did. We're alive. And the deception continues. Dead churches have forgotten the power of the Holy Spirit. They are content with an atmosphere void of power. 
where the Holy Spirit does nothing. The only thing a dead church can offer is empathy and sympathy. And they can make emotionally you feel better through man's man-centric type counseling. And I do believe we got to be there for one another. There's a time we got to put our arm around one another and just say, I'm walking with you through this. We need that kind of emotional support in the church. But if that's all that we have, then we are denying what God has for us. The dead church denies the power of God. But my Bible says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Spirit of the living God, whatever you want to do in this place, we want you to come and we want you to have your way. Hallelujah. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. My Bible says, not by might, human might, not by power, human power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Don't sit in the front because I'm spitting a lot this morning, I can tell. Oh, Jesus. Jesus himself did not minister in his own uh, strength. He was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, praise God. And he ministered in the power of the Spirit. And you'll read phrases in the New Testament like, and the Spirit was present to heal. And all of them were healed because Jesus ministered in the power of the Spirit. And friends, he, he did that because he was a model. He didn't want us to be able to look at him and say, oh yeah, but that's Jesus. We can't do it because we're not Jesus. He did it because he's God. He ministered the way he ministered to specifically so that the disciples would know how to follow suit. He ministered the way that he ministered specifically so that later on you and I would be able to follow suit and do the exact same things. Minister by the power of the Spirit. Hallelujah. And so the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 12, distributes the gifts of the Spirit as he wills. And a dead church does not walk in them. The church today has silver and gold to give to make people feel better. But in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John looked at the cripple at the gate beautiful and said, I don't have silver and gold to give you like you want me to give you. But such as I have, give I unto to you. Church, what do you have? What do you have? What are you trusting in? What do you have to give? Do you have any substance from the things of God to give? The power of the Spirit. Power of the Spirit. Churches all across America have Turn the gospel into a social call. Our church is fun. Our church has events. And I'm not against all that. We had an awesome time last night. I am the pit champion. Hallelujah. I love it. I love the fellowship. But friends, that is a poor foundation. 
foundation is the power of the Holy Spirit moving in the church. Jesus, have your way. Jesus, have your way. Do you know men, uh, men fall away from God because they build a house on something other than what God intended it to be built on. They built a house on fun, and when Christianity ceases to be fun, the bottom falls out and they walk away from God. They build the foundation on intellect. As long as it makes sense to me, I'll follow God. But then somebody else comes along that's smarter and can talk you out of it. And so the the intellectual foundation crumbles, and it does not stand. But when you build the, the, the house of God, you build the house of your faith on the Word of God and on the power of the Spirit and on the living church of Jesus Christ that He is building, then your foundation, when the storms come, will not crumble. You will make it all the way through because you've not denied the power of God. Hallelujah. Human wisdom. The dead church operates in human wisdom. And so the dead church, when they approach a situation like, should we purchase the facility in Petersburg or not? The dead church will say, well, what, what does it look like on paper? What does it, uh, the, the only thing that they will consider is all of the logistics. How much money do we have in the bank? Can we afford it? Uh, can, we, can we do this? Can we do that? And they may come to a conclusion or they may not come to a conclusion. Well, we're going to bring you all of that information. And I think it's important to know uh, the, the scope of the situation. But what a, an alive church does is they lean their ear into what the Holy Spirit is saying. And they say, God, we, we know this situation. What are you saying to us? And then... They walk in what God is speaking in the moment. Hallelujah. Why? Because they don't just operate in human wisdom. And Paul said in Corinthians, he said, I I do not come to you, brothers. I did not come to you when I came to you with excellence of speech or mere human words of wisdom. But I came to you with a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit so that your faith would not rest in men's wisdom, but on the power of God. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. We've got to remember that what makes sense to us doesn't always uh, denote God's will. What makes sense to God does not always make sense to us. You have a little paradigm that God operates in. This is my understanding of God. And the box of your understanding of God (laughs) is very small. And God does not operate inside of boxes. In the New Testament, they thought that they thought that God lived in buildings. Oh, he lives in the synagogue. He lives in the temple. But Peter came along and he preached, God does not dwell in buildings built by the hands of men. And all of our boxes that we try to couch God in, he blows them apart. Thank you, Lord. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher 
than our thoughts. Dead church no longer responds to conviction. Their consciences are seared. God can speak to you to do something, but you're comfortable not doing it. Because your conscience is seared, and you don't understand the judgment that comes on disobedience. And you don't fear God. You no longer are living for God. You think that you are, but he's really been dethroned, and yourself is on the throne of your heart because your conscience is seared. Dead churches are comfortable with just the social life of church. I've already talked about that. Dead churches like to hang out with other dead churches. Dead Christians like to hang out with other dead Christians. They're sinos. Christian in name only. They got the label. And they hang around with others that are exactly like them because they make them feel better. And they confirm each other in their death. They live however they want Monday through Saturday just so I'm in church on Sunday and just so I keep going through the motions of Christianity. But their prayer life is dead. They're not in the Word anymore. When they find a Christian who's alive, they're uncomfortable. There's other churches in town that call our church crazy. There's other pastors in town that call me crazy. It's easier to make fun than submit to that uncomfortable feeling that comes with conviction. Churches that are dead look at the churches that are alive and they shun them. But we ought not cast judgment on any church because Jesus is the head of his church and he loves his bride. Dead churches talk and talk and talk and talk, but they never really say anything because there's no substance. But we who are in Christ are not dead. (laughs) And you, has he made alive? What version of Christianity do you want? Do you know there's only one version that God intended? You think that, oh, well, if I don't like this version or that version, I'll just pick the flavor that I like and I'll just fit in right there. 
I don't want to pick the assemblies of God because I think that, well, the assemblies of God is better. I don't want to pick this or pick that. I want to live according to the scriptures. Uh, There is only one form of Christianity that Jesus set up, and it's an all-out radical Christianity where people lay their lives down for the kingdom. And when you lay your life down for the kingdom, you find your life in Christ. Hallelujah. When you give it all to him, then he gives his all to you. And and he begins to work and he begins to move. Hallelujah. You know, when troubles come, when we hold back part of our lives to Christ and we live a form of Christianity that God never intended us to live. When we start compromising and we start, we start living around the edges for this sake or for that sake, then, then we start going down the wrong road. But Jesus is building his church, and he is looking for people that are alive. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. So what ought I do if I'm dead? One, Guard your heart. Get rid of things that are causing death. Get rid of things that are causing death. There's people in your life that should not be in your life. Get them out of your life. There's an illustration that my youth pastor gave one time. And he put a chair out in the middle. I should probably do it right now. He put a chair out in the middle. And he... uh, he put the the uh, he put the the biggest person up on the chair in the room. They stood on the chair, and then he had the smallest person come and grab hands. And he said, uh, "Now, I want the smallest person to try to get him off the chair. I don't want the biggest person to try to get him up on the chair. Every single time, you know what? Nobody ended up on the chair. Everybody ended up on the floor." And this is what happens when we flirt with the world. You think, oh, I'm going to redeem this person. I'm going to redeem that person. Um, but your fellowship, and, and I, here I'm not talking about basic friendship that, that you know, because you need basic friendship to lead people to Christ. But I'm talking about fellowship in a way that God never intended. You are yoked up with somebody in a friendship or in, in, in a relationship that you should never be yoked up with. And you think, oh, I'm, I'm going to get them up on this chair with me. And that is not what's going to happen. You're going to fall off the chair friend. And so you've got to get the things out of your life. This is why the scriptures say, come out from among them and be separate. We're we're in the world, but we are not of the world. Hallelujah. We, We are in the world, but we are passing through. This world is not our home. And, and so we've got to guard our heart. Your heart can get attached to something that's going to pull you away from God. It doesn't have to be a person. It can be a thing. It can be an electronic device. It can be, uh, it can be a, a form of entertainment. It can be any of those things. We have to guard our heart carefully and closely and not give it to things that we should not give it to. Praise the Lord. If you leave with nothing else, then, then that phrase, guard your heart this morning, then, uh, then hear me today. Number two, 
stay connected with burning ones. You disconnected with, with lukewarm dead people. Connect with alive people in Jesus' name. Connect with people that are running after God. Connect with, uh, connect with people that have a heart for God. Praise the Lord. We've got some eighth graders in our, in our, uh, in our church, and they're going to be in high school next year. And I'm, uh, I, I will counsel every everyone that's moving into a new situation, a new school, a new job, or whatever. Look for people that have like-minded faith that you can stand with. Because if you yoke up with people that are not, uh, that are not burning ones, that will feed the fire of your heart, they're going to take away from it. And you need to surround yourself with ones that are, that are on fire with God. Give yourself to prayer. And I want to end this message by uh, talking about fasting because next Sunday we're going to start a fast. Next Sunday we're going to give ourselves for eight, for uh, seven full days, but uh, on parts of eight different days. We're going to start our fast on Sunday night and, uh, uh, and at the Atlanta prayer meeting. I hope as many of you can, can come as possible. And we're going to end our season of fasting with a baptism service on the following Sunday night right here. And I'm excited about that. Hallelujah. Fasting helps break the yoke of bondage on your life. If you need breakthrough, then fasting is an incredible thing. If you're going to do a total fast, you need to prepare about three days for that total fast, and you need to cut back on heavy foods and sugars and caffeines. And then by Sunday, your body will be light enough to be able to enter in to that fast. If you have medical condition, you need to consult with your physician before you enter into a, a, a long fast. Uh, but uh, fasting in the scriptures is always concerning food. Now, I believe we should consecrate our lives in other areas. I'm going uh, to be turning off my phone except for texting and calling. Uh, I'm going to not be spending time on any other apps on my phone. I'm going to be turning off our TV in our house. Our TV is not going to be on. And that's a wonderful way to consecrate yourself to the Lord. But fasting has to do with food. And in the scriptures, there are three types of fast. There is a total fast, and that's where you don't eat uh, food or drink water. And you see that multiple times in the scriptures. Moses did a total fast. Now, that was a supernatural thing. He did it for, he fasted literally a total fast for 80 days. He did that by the power of the Spirit. He went up the mountain for 40 nights, came down, went right back up the mountain for 40 more nights. He did not eat or drink. That was a supernaturally sustained fast. It is, humanly speaking, it, a total fast is not possible for longer than three days. Uh, and so you see different uh, types of total fasts. In Esther, uh, they called the nation of Israel to a total fast. Jonah, the king, called the, the people of Nineveh to a total fast. They did not eat, they did not drink water for three days. And God heard them. That's a total fast. A normal fast is where you go without food, but you continue to drink water. And this is the type of fast that Jesus did in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 4. 
And, and so he did a normal fast, and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And some people are like, what do you mean he did a complete fast? And there are many, many, many people. I've not done a 40-day fast, but there are many, many people that have done 40-day fasts, and, and it is a, a, a very a wonderful part of, of, of Christianity. Jesus called us to fasting. In Matthew 6, he said, when you fast, and then he taught us how to fast. Uh, don't be like the hypocrites and so forth. Um, and so fasting is a part of the Christian walk. If you've been struggling for spiritual breakthrough and you've been wondering, how do I get to the next level in my Christianity? Fasting might be the ticket. If you're looking at your life and you're saying, you know what, there's deadness in my heart. Fasting might be the thing that brings breakthrough. So fasting, let me, let me give you, if you're taking notes, write these things down because uh, they're, they're important. Uh, I'm going to give you seven things that fasting does very quickly. Seven things in seven minutes. How about that? Fasting causes us to rely solely on God. Why did God choose fasting? Because food is central to the basic necessities of life. And you cannot, you cannot sustain without eating. But in a season of fasting, I am turning uh, I am turning my attention 100% to God, and I'm saying, God, even more than food, I lean on you. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so I am raising up my trust in the Lord, even my dependence upon God, uh, even more than the food that I am eating. Fasting causes me to rely on God. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Praise God. Uh, you, God, Psalm 63, 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And as my body begins to cry out for food, because it will, my spirit's calling out to God. Number two, fasting helps us be filled with the fruits of the spirit. And, and fasting is a revealer. You know what happens to me when I fast? I get irritable. I get grumpy. I don't know why they call it a fast, because it goes so slow. I see uh, fast food everywhere. But God wants to crush those things in me so that the fruits of the Spirit can come alive. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. He wants those things to be a part of my life. Number three. Fasting forces us to bypass the emotions of our flesh, which is very similar. Um, and uh, actually, that's part of number two. Number three, fasting opens our hearts to hearing God's voice. Galatians 5, right after it talked about the fruit of the Spirit, it says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
When you don't know which way to go, when you're at a crossroads in a decision that you need to make that life might bring to you, when you need to get direction and you need to hear from God, fasting is a great way to get all the other voices out of your head and mind so that you can hear his. Number four, spiritual fasting renews our appreciation for God and his blessing. Thank you, Jesus. You know, America that we live in, more of this, more of that. I need this shirt. I need more clothes. I need, I need a new house. I need this. I need that. And we're trained as Americans to evaluate where we are situationally and want something more. And it produces in us something oftentimes that is very unhealthy and cannot coexist with Christianity. Because Jesus calls us to lay all that stuff down. Fasting opens up our, our appreciation for him. It resets our desires, not for the things of this world, but for the things of the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Joel chapter 2, the prophet calls the people, says, turn to me now while there is still time, in verse 12. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. And we begin to value God's presence and God's Spirit above the things of this world that we value, that really are trinkets and, and uh, are, are not valuable at all. Is this good stuff? Fasting gives power to your prayers. Fasting gives power to your prayers. Well, how does that work? Can't God just answer my prayer? Can't God just make, make my prayers effective the way they are? And there is a great mystery in, in the, the prayer teaching of the scriptures. I, I don't understand how it all works, but I know this. The disciples, they could not cast out a demon. And they tried. And their prayer went unanswered. Their authority went unanswered. And Jesus said, bring Bring the boy to me. And Jesus cast out the spirit with the word. And the disciples came privately and said, why can't we cast out this spirit? And he looks at them and says, because you have so little faith. You have a measure of faith. They'd seen some miracles. But this miracle they could not see happen. And Jesus, after he told them to get rid of their doubting, he said, this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. And friends, there are no shortcuts in the kingdom. There are some prayers that will not be answered apart from fasting. I don't understand the mystery of it all. But it's the reality of it. When I deny my flesh and I give myself to fasting, God increases the power in my prayer. It's awful quiet in here. Because somebody, uh, somebody said, well, 
fasting is for somebody else. Well, there is a third type of fasting that uh, is in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 3. And in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 3, Daniel said, I refuse to let any delicacy touch my mouth. I refuse to give myself to meat. I refuse to give myself to anything that is prepared. Now, we call it a Daniel fast. Daniel didn't call it a fast. He just said, I'm pushing away uh, all of this stuff uh, for this time while I'm seeking God, and I am not going to give myself to it. So, this, so some of you have purchased books on wonderful recipes for the Daniel fast. Well, you've just negated the Daniel fast. Because the Daniel fast is not supposed to be pleasurable. The Daniel fast, they eat food, but minimal. They eat food, but they don't prepare pleasurable food. It is not for the taste buds. In fact, you're supposed to minimize anything that you taste so that you're not eating it for the sake of pleasure. Americans were guilty. We have all kinds of choices. I don't want that. It's not pleasurable. It doesn't taste good. Well, Daniel pushed all that aside for 21 days while he sought the Lord. And so if you have a medical condition and you say, well, I can't, I can't do a, a total fast or a normal fast without food, you can still participate with fasting. You can minimize. You can say, you know what, I'm not going to spend all my time preparing food or, or buying food that is for the pleasure of my senses. I'm going to eat to get by. I'm going to medically sustain myself. Uh, if I'm on medication or whatever, I'm not, I'm not going to compromise that. I, we're not asking anybody to do that. But you can still participate in the fast. And you will see the power of prayer in your life increase. Okay, I just hit seven minutes. I got to keep going. Spiritual fasting creates an environment for miracles. Hallelujah. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 says, when your heavenly Father sees your fasting that is done with right motive, uh, not for the not for the admiration of other people or and so forth, that when your father sees the fasting that you do uh, that, that, is, that is with right motive unto him, that he will reward you openly. Friends, that is an atmosphere for the miraculous and the supernatural. When you give yourself to fasting, you will begin to see God do things that, that are mighty. Praise God. And finally, Fasting helps us to consume God's word. Uh, Jesus, in John chapter 4, when the disciples came to him, remember Jesus sent them away, go buy food, and that's when he had the conversation with the woman at the well. And they came back with their food, and Jesus had had this awesome time with this, with this uh, woman and turned her into evangelist, flipped her life upside down, and he looked at them and he said, I have food that you don't know about. You don't know anything about the food that I'm eating. He's talking about spiritual food. And when he had fasted in Matthew chapter 4, and the devil came to tempt him, said, turn these stones into bread, he was hungry. And that's when Jesus said the verse I quoted earlier, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
fasting. Friends, we want our church to be alive in God. I am calling for next Sunday for us to engage in fasting for one week. We're going to have prayer meetings here every night at 6.30. The first one is at 6 o'clock Sunday night in Atlanta, the Assembly of God Church. From that point on, Monday through Saturday night, we're going to meet here at 6.30. On Thursday night, there will be a group of us that will be at the uh, Petersburg Church, and you can travel over if you want, but we will have the sanctuary here open for prayer on Thursday night as well. And so we are going to give ourselves to prayer and fasting as a body, and we're believing for the Lord that as we humble ourselves before him, there's lots of other reasons for fasting. I gave you seven of them this morning. We're believing that we will see breakthrough that God is calling us to see. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. We're going to start next Sunday night at the 8th. Today's the 1st. We'll give you a, a day or two to celebrate the new year, and then we're going to dive in um, for our week of prayer and fasting, uh, Sunday night through Sunday night. Okay? Some of us, as I was preaching, you felt, you know, I'm, I'm needing to come back to life. And I'm not looking. I, some, sometimes in a moment that happens at the altar. And if you'd like me to pray for you this morning, I'd be happy to. But I, I believe God wants us to turn our face toward him with a season of seeking him. God doesn't want you to just get a quick touch and go, oh, I feel better. Now everything's okay. He wants you to turn your face towards him and start seeking him in prayer. Amen. And so, Lord, we've come under conviction this morning. I've come under conviction as I'm preaching your word to the body this morning, trying to feed this family of believers. God, I'm coming under conviction as well. God, I ask in the name of Jesus that every yoke of bondage that holds your people back that keeps us in this state of leanness would be broken. Would be broken. There are no shortcuts in your kingdom. God, we don't have one word for everybody else and another word for us. We embrace the word of God. We draw near to your heart. We don't want to be Christians in name only. We don't want to be, we don't want to be those that have a reputation that they are alive, but in reality, 
We're dead inside. Jesus, we want the genuine condition of our heart to be alive. And so, Lord, these next two weeks, God, we ask that you would begin to move and work in a deeper way than you've ever worked before. Root out and destroy. Build up and plant. Do your work in us. Set us on a trajectory for 2023 to become all that you want of us. Not just as a church, but as individuals in the church. We thank you, Father. We give you praise. We give you praise. If, if that was your prayer, not just your pastor's prayer, if that was your prayer, just stand up to your feet right now and just say, God, I want you to have your way in me. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Here we are, Lord. Just, just lift up your hands to him and say, God, I just give myself to you. I just give myself to you in Jesus' name. I just give myself to you. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father. Lord, receive the worship of your people right now. God, this worship right now is perhaps stronger than any that we had during the singing portion of our gathering of your people saying, here we are, here we are. Have your way in me. Have your way in me. Thank you, Lord. 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 Oh, my God, my God, my God, my God. We thank you, Father. So, God, we commit this journey to you in Jesus' name. God, speak. God speak, God speak. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.